This podcast is free and it's accessible to everyone thanks to support from listeners like you. If you value this show, please consider supporting its production by donating to our home, KUOW. It only takes a minute to give and you'll be helping to support the production of this podcast. Make a donation at KUOW.org or follow the link in the show notes. And thanks. Hi, everyone. I hope you're well. You know, listeners often ask how they can help us create more stories, which is really great. The Wild is a joint production of myself and KUOW Public Radio. And you can support this vital work by checking out our show notes. And you'll find a link there about contributing small monthly amounts to my wildlife organization, Chris Morgan Wildlife, through Patreon. Become a part of the wild community and help fuel the next adventure. Thank you. Enjoy the episode. In the summer of 2020, there was some big news for wildlife in the Pacific Northwest. In the wild spaces of Mount Rainier National Park, an exciting discovery, a female wolverine and two babies called kits. Wolverines were back. It's believed that these tenacious predators haven't been in Mount Rainier National Park for over a century. They are known for their attitude. And State Fish and Wildlife thinks there's only about 20. There is still a lot we don't know about this very small, elusive population. Wolverines are in a family of weasels called mustelids. Minks, otters, badgers. But when you hear the word weasel, you don't think of an animal that can chew through a log, or drive a bear from a kill, or take down prey many times bigger than themselves. Even the list of the places they call home gives you a sense of their personality. Alaska, Sweden, Russia. They'll take tundra, boreal forests, or mountains, as long as they're left alone. Which can make studying them very difficult. Joni like kind of showed up on the scene, so we don't really know what her home range is, and she just kept... Dr. Jocelyn Aikens is a wolverine biologist. She has slogged and toiled through some of the most rugged terrain on Earth, setting up wildlife cameras all over the high country in the hopes of proving that wolverines had returned. Eventually, after years of searching, Jocelyn was rewarded with the first images of a mother and her young inside the park. Okay, so... So we have these monitoring stations where we can identify individual wolverines based on photographs. And so we found, she came to one of those stations and she just kept coming back. And we could tell from her unique throat and chest markings, her chest blaze, that she was not a wolverine we'd ever seen down here before. Researchers named her Joni. You know, it's completely possible that we're going to watch this population blink out. So when you see a female, you know there's hope. It's the best hope you can have for this population. For 15 years now, Jocelyn has been on a quest to witness and document the return of wolverines to the mountains of the South Cascades after a long absence. But the fact that a female with youngsters is expanding into new territory could be a sign that the population is making a comeback and it seems like there's no creature more determined. This is a story about toughness, tenacity, and resilience, not just of the wolverines, but of the woman determined to study them. From KURW in Seattle, I'm Chris Morgan. Welcome to the wild.
Today was going to be a slog. I could just tell. So we are going to this ridge over here. <laughs> okay. So we're going to we're going to curl around here. Yeah, we have to get around. There's a big cornice at the top of this ridge and we skirt around it and then we cruise. We're in Mount Rainier National Park in Washington state. All I see around me is black rock sticking out of white snow. Rainier is part of the Cascade Range. These mountains run from southern British Columbia along the Pacific coast down to northern California. At almost 14,500 feet high, Rainier is the tallest peak in the range, rising up majestically above the clouds in a part of the range called the South Cascades. In the Native American Salish language, one translation means snow-covered mountain, and it is. It's common for 60 feet or more of snow to fall in one winter here. I'm on snowshoes, and Jocelyn is on backcountry skis. There's no other way to track a wolverine in the winter. That's log number one. I've heard the wolverine is a creature that seems to attract energetic people. So when you're invited to join someone tracking this maniac of an animal, you'd better be ready for some abuse. It's a show getting into wolverine country, you know. Jocelyn is the founder of the Cascade Carnivore Project. I'm with her today to learn how she goes about researching a species that is, well, so hard to research, so hard to find. She does it with the help of wildlife cameras, like the one we've set out to visit today, high up on a remote ridgeline. Jocelyn uses the cameras to document wolverine presence and their movements across vast landscapes. So we're monitoring like the natural recolonization of wolverines into the South Cascades. And so we're trying to document all individuals and find out where they came from. And you have to be physically fit for this work. Jocelyn makes cross-country skiing in the backcountry look easy. I immediately know she's going to be hard to keep up with. Like Jocelyn, wolverines travel huge distances. They're basically unstoppable. And do you have any idea what kind of home range they have around here? Well, like ginormous, I mean, the, so the North Cascades Wolverine Study, which was 2005 to 2015, they collared a whole bunch of wolverines. The largest ones were 1,000 square kilometers. And those were, some of those were females, like just ginormous. That's 400 square miles, and male ranges are even bigger, so they can cover several females' territories to find a mate. And immature wolverines will often roam crazy distances to find a new home. There's a wolverine named Buddy that's in California that came from Idaho and has stayed for a decade. There, there was a wolverine that was captured, that was collared in Grand Teton National Park, and it roamed down to Colorado and then it was killed by a human in North Dakota. Like, nobody thinks of North Dakota as being wolverine habitat. And His journey to North Dakota was 2,000 miles long, like he was running to find the last wild places. Wolverines are territorial, so there's only so many of them that can fit on the landscape, and it's why they are compelled to travel. I've tracked lots of animals doing field work, and usually when you're following a wild animal, you can follow them on a well-worn human or game trail. Wildlife use them a lot, because they're the easiest route from A to B, but not the wolverine. It's like they just, they're not taking the path of least resistance. They're huh. just going in straight lines. <laughs> right. They might be on a trail for a hundred yards, and then they're like, oh, this is 
I need to go that way. Hang <laughs> <laughs> a left over this mountain. Yeah. It's amazing. It just makes you admire them so much, hey? Yeah. They make you feel kind of pathetic as well. <laughs> oh, definitely. Even expert skier Jocelyn can't keep up with the wolverines. They're so well adapted to this place. They're really good at moving through deep snow. They're adapted to snow. They got these giant paws. They got claws. They can climb trees. They can break bones from carcasses to get at the bone marrow and, you know, get the meat. Most other animals that call these high mountainous areas home either hibernate to make it through the harsh winter or move down in elevation. Wolverines are too tough for that. They just keep on pushing through frigid winters. No rest for a wolverine. Jocelyn and I are skirting our way around the mid-slope of Mount Rainier at about 6,000 feet. I can see snow and icy peaks as far as the horizon, including three volcanoes. There's Mount St. Helens, there's Mount Adams, and there, Mount Rainier. Pretty special spot being able to see all three of them. (laughs) It's breathtaking being out here. Yes, breathtaking. Suddenly, the friendly chit-chat stops, and the steep uphill grunt begins. We're right on the icy slopes of the mountain. I feel like I could reach out and touch the peak. A perfect dome. It's surreal and vast. There are few trees at this elevation, but this is where wolverines thrive. If you want to think about what wolverine habitat is, it's, it's, it's timberline, it's the, the top of the, the, the mountain forest, and it's where things start to open up and you get this rolling country, you get mountainous terrain. This is what's known as marginal habitat because there aren't a lot of resources. Few animals can make a living in this harsh place, but wolverines do. Now, wolverines might seem unstoppable, but they're not. They came close to extinction everywhere in the USA outside of Alaska. They were trapped for their fur, and they were gone completely by the 1930s in the Pacific states. Even now, there are only about 300 of them in the entire lower 48. Now, they have a chance to come back. But it means covering a lot of ground to find a mate and a safe place to live. It's why the long-distance males are so driven, because what matters most are the females. The station is in those trees. Oh, cool. Yep. Jocelyn and I continue our push up to the camera site. Okay. Yep. We're getting there. We are getting there. Are you concerned about avalanches here? Not always, but today for sure. We had over a foot of fresh snow. Freezing level went way down, it snowed a lot, and now it's climbed all the way up above 8,000 feet. And it was sun affected yesterday, it's, sun, it's going to be more sun affected today. So we'll skirt below it. Each of us is carrying a 15 foot collapsible probe, an avalanche shovel, and an electronic location beacon in case we get buried. We come to a small downhill section. Now I'm really jealous of Jocelyn's skis, faster than my snowshoes. Okay, so I'm going to get ahead of you guys here, but just follow my tracks. She skis away in front of me and immediately becomes a tiny dot on the huge snowfield.
Through her 20s, like a lot of budding wildlife ecologists and scientists, Jocelyn learned what it takes to work in the backcountry as a wildlife researcher. She racked up miles and skills, how to track, how to read a landscape, wilderness survival, and how to capture wild animals to radio collar and monitor them. She was lucky enough to get a job in Yellowstone National Park on a wildlife research team. Around Thanksgiving that year, they started putting out traps to tag some wolverines. And we got the first wolverine in a trap in March. It was so exciting. And uh, the wolverine was trying to chew its way out. Oh, and it was growling. I mean, it, it sounded like an African lion to me. When the vet got there and we tranquilized it, it had chewed through half the round, so half the lodgepole round. You know, it had chewed probably three to four inches. And if we'd waited till the next day, I think it would have got out. That experience was her first introduction to wolverines. But it would be a few more years before they would become her obsession. We continue to huff our way towards the camera site. Okay, so the station is somewhere in those trees over there. Okay. And so we're getting pretty close. Um, so th there aren't any major rules, just we don't, I don't like to, anyone to pee close to the station. And why no peeing in this case? You know, it's just kind of a thing. Jocelyn doesn't want any of our odors to linger at the site. Human pee might scare off Joni or any other wolverine that might be in the neighborhood. Their sense of smell helps them survive out here. They've been known to smell a carcass under 20 feet of snow, about what we're standing on right now. These camera stations are pretty basic looking, but they're actually really ingenious. There are two parts to this setup. One's the camera, strapped to a tree, and the other is on another tree, directly opposite the camera. What do you call this? This is part of the station. This but is the, the run pole. You have this horizontal pole lashed to the tree and coming mm -hmm. out, mm -hmm. and then the bait is hanging above it, and that's the closest an animal can get to the bait is by walking out on this plank. It's like a wolverine jungle gym. Imagine a narrow platform attached to a tree and a piece of bait is hanging above the end of it. The wolverine climbs out to the edge of the platform and then raises up on its back legs to get the bait. And as it does, it gives the camera on the tree opposite a chance to get a clear shot of that beautiful chest blaze, the creamy markings unique to every wolverine. As well as photos, Jocelyn also collects hairs for DNA samples. The platform is lined with small metal alligator clips and wire brushes that are positioned to snag a few hairs as the wolverine passes by on the way to the bait. A visit to the hardware store will never feel the same again. Jocelyn takes a close look at the wire brushes and sees a few long, dark hairs. The main thing that's cool, though, is that I can see follicles. So, like, I can see a little bulb on the end. Mm. It's really hard to see, but that's mm -hmm. the money. Because when you get, like, sort of fuzz, that's, um, it's harder to get DNA out of them. There's a hair sample there. So that's, oh, yeah. that's brownie. That looks pretty wolverine-y to me. Huh. This DNA will help Jocelyn to determine which genetic populations of wolverines are recolonizing this area and where they're coming from. What led Jocelyn to this icy ridge that was standing on 6,000 feet up Mount Rainier was something that happened back in 2006. 
After Jocelyn left her job in Yellowstone, she settled down back home in the Pacific Northwest in Hood River, Oregon. It's not the place where you'd expect to find a wolverine, which is why she was so surprised when she heard the news. Researchers from the Native American Yakima Nation had photographed a wolverine just north of where she lived on Mount Adams in the South Cascades. A few wolverines had been documented close to the Canadian border, but that's about 200 miles north of Mount Adams. For a wolverine to come down from Canada, they'd have to traverse countless mountains and rivers. But the biggest challenge is Interstate 90, a six-lane highway that cuts through the middle of Washington State, a near-impossible barrier for any four-legged animal. So where did this Mount Adams wolverine come from? Jocelyn had a lot of questions. So what was this wolverine doing? Was it a disperser? Was there some remnant population that had totally gone undetected? Unlikely, but possible. Uh, was it a male or a female? Uh, and I was just inspired, and I had I started. I approached the Department of Fish and Wildlife, and they gave the go-ahead, and I just started setting cameras. But the state wildlife agencies didn't have the budget to look into where this wolverine had come from, or if there were more wolverines in the area. But Jocelyn wanted answers. So in 2008, she started a small non-profit organization, the Cascade Carnivore Project, to start her own research. But she had no funds, no equipment, and no experience trying to pull something like this together. She asked friends and Hood River locals for help. The regional wildlife biologist for the Mount Adams area was really supportive. He lent Jocelyn an old beaten-up snowmobile. I used to just get that thing stuck in ditches and drainages and... I'd just be on my own digging it out for, you know, so one time it took two hours to dig it out. (laughs) Jocelyn still owns that beaten up snowmobile. For 15 months, she traveled the deep backcountry around Mount Adams, setting and checking camera traps and hoping. Finally, the day came. She popped off the back of a wildlife camera and there it was, a photo of that mystery Southern Wolverine. Yeah, I mean, I just totally, like, hooted and hollered. I was on my own in the mountains, like, way up at Treeline on the north side of Mount Adams, just totally screaming. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was just, I, I didn't think we, yeah, I just didn't know if it was going to happen. Jocelyn had confirmed what had been found on the earlier photograph taken by the Yakima Nation. There was indeed a male wolverine in the South Cascades. This single male was a monumental find, but he wouldn't be able to establish a lasting population alone. What was needed were more individuals, and especially females. Even one female would be enough to help wolverines slowly come back. It marked the start of Jocelyn's new mission, prove that this male might be able to find a mate. In other words, prove that there was at least one female wolverine in the area. Hey, my name's Claire McGrain, and I'm a producer for Seattle Now, KUOW's local news podcast. There is a lot happening in our region, and it's a lot of work to keep track of it all. We'll get you caught up on the latest news and take a deep dive into something happening around the city, all in under 15 minutes. Get a morning walk-in or grab a cup of coffee and start your day with us. 
Learn something new and connect with our city by searching for Seattle Now wherever you get your podcasts. Back on Mount Rainier, our sweat has turned cold and icy meltwater is dripping on us from the fir trees. I'm wearing every layer I brought, but we made it to one single remote camera high up the mountain. I have a front row seat to see how Jocelyn is tracking the movements of wolverines as they slowly come back to the South Cascades. And at times, it can be quite a dirty job. She has to rebait this camera trap site. Okay, so here's the bait. Oh, look at that. Get the camera out. Just then, Jocelyn pulls half a beaver out of her pack. It is literally half a beaver. (laughs) Really gory. That's the back half. That's the back half. Every couple of months, Jocelyn, or another team member, heads out to each of her sites and puts out new bait. Got to make sure it stays attractive to any passing wolverine that might catch a whiff. I mean, beavers are so fatty. Oh, my God. It's just like there's all this subcutaneous fat that is just stinky. wolverine heaven. Let me tell you, the smell is quite something. Then Jocelyn makes it even worse. She pulls out a vial of this specially made wolverine scent. Not the scent of a wolverine, but the perfect combination of smells to lure in a wolverine. It's called the La Froth Roar Mixture. I like to call it a melange. It was, <laughs> it was put together by these a Canadian, a, like a British Columbia and a Washington Wolverine biologist. They came up with it. And it's, it's got skunk in it. It's got um, porcupine essence. Uh, I don't know what else is in it, but it's, you'll smell, I'll bring it out. Yeah, there's probably some beaver caster in it. Yeah. Feels like I'm in some kind of twisted cooking show. She puts on rubber gloves to help avoid bringing the stink home with her, but she can only do so much. My car mechanic calls me Beaver Lady. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I I forgot all about the bait. So that's all dialed in. Everything's ready to go with the hair snagging devices. We got the bait on the ground, so now we need to hoist it. Okay. And then we'll set the cameras, and then we'll be done. Okay. No thanks. You have to be patient when looking for wolverines. The years passed by as Jocelyn searched the South Cascades to find an elusive female. When she wasn't in the backcountry on her skis checking on camera traps, she was busy with other things in life. She completed her PhD and started a family with two kids of her own. But she never gave up. Then, in 2016, one of her cameras detected a new wolverine in the area. Could this be the female she'd been hoping for? It would take another two years of searching to know for sure. It was springtime, and Jocelyn was sleeping in her tent on the last night of a research trip just east of Mount Rainier National Park. She was snuggled in a sleeping bag, And then she heard something. She froze. She could hear a sniffing sound close to her tent. She lay there and listened as the animal drew in two deep breaths. The next morning, there were fresh wolverine tracks in the snow, just four feet from the tent where she had hung some socks to dry overnight. Her team checked the camera nearby, and sure enough, a female wolverine. 
The female wolverine she was looking for all this time had come to her while she slept at night. And we were able to find the den and document that she had two kits. And that was the first, that was the first um, evidence of reproduction of wolverines in the South Cascades in modern times. So, A full decade of work, but Jocelyn had her female. And not just the female. Two young babies as well, two kits. They were about 10 weeks old. They named this mother Pepper. They actually ended up locating her natal den site, only the third known den site in the entire state. And genetic analysis from hair and scat revealed something critical, that Pepper and the male wolverine both had the same genetic signature. And that genetic signature was from the North Cascades wolverines. So this strongly suggested these South Cascades wolverines are being recolonized from the north. This was one of the most significant wolverine discoveries in three quarters of a century. The newspaper headline read, Female Wolverine Spotted South of I-90. And it was Jocelyn and the scrappy wildlife organization she founded that had done it. Now Jocelyn knew if there was one female mom with kits in the South Cascades, perhaps there were more. But being a mother wolverine in this environment is hard, and climate change is only making it that much harder. So we haven't talked about snow, but wolverines are really reliant on snow. The females den in late winter by digging a hole right down through the snowpack to the bottom, and that's where they give birth. So when you look around the world, you see wolverines living in places where snow persists into the spring. And as that's changing, that is what's going to probably be a major threat. Wolverines. In addition, wolverines are scavengers, so it really is a life of feast and famine for them. So when they find food, they often cache it, put it in tree wells, the space in the snow under a tree. The cold snow keeps the meat from rotting and hides it from competitors. And you can imagine how critically important that is when you're a mother wolverine that's given birth in the middle of winter. You can't go very far to find food. So if you can cache food near your den, then it's going to make it a lot more likely that you're going to survive and your kits are going to survive. Which brings us full circle back to Joni, the mother wolverine who made all that splashy news in 2020. In the wild spaces of Mount Rainier National Park, an exciting discovery, a female wolverine and two babies called kits. The first wolverine actually within Mount Rainier National Park in 100 years. Remember, Pepper and the male wolverine were found southeast of Mount Rainier, outside the park. By placing cameras in the park beyond the known range of wolverines, Jocelyn had hoped to really show wolverines were on the move and expanding. And it paid off. The arrival of another female with kits was another sign that perhaps a permanent population is being established in the South Cascades, south of Interstate 90. And so for Joni to show up, a female wolverine that was reproducing and right, right in the heart of Mount Rainier was pretty, you know, satisfying, rewarding, very exciting just to <laughs> know that things were happening. Some of Jocelyn's cameras can send an instant notification back to her phone when a wolverine triggers it. Joni kept on showing up on the camera, which meant that this mother wolverine had likely established her territory inside the park. A pretty big deal. Not a, not a bad 
field study site. Now pretty good. So here we are in the heart of Mount Rainier National Park where Joni, this legendary wolverine, now lives. Jocelyn is hoping the camera we're checking today will have some images of her. She opens the camera to see what's there. Mm-hmm. And so here's a fuzzy wolverine photo. No way. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> okay, just one in the middle. Okay, you're, um, just, you're showing me a picture of a North Cascades wolverine. <laughs> that is amazing. Jocelyn leans in to see which wolverine it is, clicking through the photos. Hard to see, but you can see the very its head is is out of the frame. Oh but God, you, yes. See how like unique that chest pattern is. Yes. So that's that van. That one looks like is like shoulder to shoulder, kind of a yeah, line, shoulder to shoulder. Yeah, and it goes it goes up. It's all it's almost boxy, and so that's Van. So that's the the presumed mate of Joni, and it looks like a trapeze artist <laughs> of some sort. That's hilarious. Yeah, and you can you can see his balls. Like I can't in that photo, but I know that they're there because he's an older male. And so Van, a dominant male, and likely father of Joni's kits, and then we. Okay, so there's Joni. The famed matriarch herself. Jocelyn would recognize her chest blaze anywhere. It's a very special treat on the camera today. And Joni's not alone. Okay, and this one might be hard to tell, but this one is different, and that is one of her kits. At night? Yeah. So we have Joni, one of her kits, the male, Van, and there's also another male on this camera, four of the five known wolverines Jocelyn has now documented in this area. These few photographs are magical to see, but more than that, when they're added to years of data, they help to really build a picture from the individual wolverines to the population, how they're related, where they're coming from, and the paths they're using to return. And what seems clear is that Joni is now attracting some of those males with the famous wanderlust to the park. I mean, it's been really neat. Like, Mount Rainier is a hard place to work in the winter. It's really hard. It's much harder than our southern sites. Here's another one, December 24th, Christmas Eve. Um, But it's, you know, it's really protected habitat. And so it doesn't surprise me that if you dispersed here from the North Cascades that you would stop here and set up shop. Jocelyn knows it's the tenacity of these creatures that's the biggest factor in their return to the places they used to live. What gives you hope about wolverines right now? Well, it definitely gives me hope that they've made it back to Mount Rainier and these other protected wilderness areas of the South Cascades. Just the fact that they can get across I-90 and that females are getting across I-90 and they're reproducing. They're finding mates and they're having babies and that is hopeful for the persistence of this southern population. The search continues as the wolverine hopscotches from one wild stepping stone to another, slowly repopulating this region. Jocelyn's organization and other partners are now working with a larger genetic data set to figure out if other wolverines have come down to Washington from Canada, and if they might continue to cross I-90 into southern Washington. If they can, it might spell some well-earned good news for the wolverine and its future in the western United States. To me, it's such a sign of like wildness just to know that this critter that needs snow, it needs large wild areas, it needs space away from human development, that it still, it's able to find, you know, after being wiped out by 
fur trapping and predator control programs, it's made its way back. It's a sign that the landscape is, is still healthy and intact. It's a landscape that Jocelyn Akins will always be driven to explore. She takes a moment and looks out over the icy mountains like she's channeling her inner wolverine. So I'm so glad we all got to the station and yeah. to be all out here on this epically gorgeous day. It really is. I guess we probably got to get moving. If you'd like to see photos of me struggling to keep up with Jocelyn on our trek, head over to our Instagram, at The Wild Pod, and you can find me at Chris Morgan Wildlife. The Wild is inspired not just by nature, but by the people who work in it, love it, protect it. The Wild is a production of KUOW in Seattle, and me, Chris Morgan, with support from Wildlife Media. One way to support this vital work is through my wildlife organization, Chris Morgan Wildlife, on Patreon. There's a link in the show notes. Our producer is Matt Martin. Thanks for huffing up that mountain with me too, Matt. Jim Gates is our editor. Thanks for huffing through this complicated edit, Jim. A very special thank you for their kind financial support to Jill and Scott Walker, Rose Letwin, Ellen Ferguson, Anna Kimball, John Taylor, Paul Lister, Mark Wilkins and Rebecca Badger, Bob Yellowlees, John and Julie Hansen, and Annie Mize. Our production team includes Juan Pablo Chiquiza, April Craig, Michaela Giannotti, Cara McDermott, Tio Popescu, Darcy Riggins-Schmidt, and Brendan Sweeney. Our theme music is by Michael Parker. I'm Chris Morgan. If you enjoy The Wild, please do tell your friends. We love our stories to reach and inspire as many people as possible. Thanks so much for listening, and take care of each other. My name's Claire McGrain, and I'm a producer for Seattle Now, KUOW's local news podcast. There is a lot happening in our region, and it's a lot of work to keep track of it all. We'll get you caught up on the latest news and take a deep dive into something happening around the city, all in under 15 minutes. Get a morning walk-in or grab a cup of coffee and start your day with us. Learn something new and connect with our city by searching for Seattle Now wherever you get your podcasts.